I'm Barbara Buchanan, and this is episode 15 of Tales from Weird Scotland. The stories told in Tales from Weird Scotland relate to the supernatural and may detail dark and distressing events from Scotland's past. For this reason, the podcasts are not recommended for listeners who may find such content upsetting. Samhain, Geysers, Dukin and Bogles It should be a day like any other in the calendar. The last day of the tenth month of the year, late autumn, on the cusp of winter. The harvest is gathered in, the windfall apples collected up, no more conquers to string and play games with. The glorious coloured foliage of the autumn trees, now dropped, dried dead leaves skittering along the pavements. It's growing colder and the clocks change. The hours of daylight shorten. But the 31st of October is not a day like any other. For this is Samhain, All Hallows Eve, Halloween. A night for the dead. A night for wickedness. Fancy dress and fantastical ghoulish makeup, the fun and games, frights and scares and parties held on this date in modern times have origins far back in Scotland's pre-Christian, spiritual, Celtic past. This night marked Samhain, the end of summer and the coming of winter, darkness claiming ascendance over the light. From sunset, the boundaries between good and evil, the living and the dead, are at their weakest. It was believed that the ghosts of dead ancestors were free to roam and return to their former homes to mingle with the living. An empty chair and a plate of food left out for the returning departed. Malevolent spirits too would walk abroad. Witches and warlocks were feared to reach the height of their powers on that single night. Witches being best destroyed by fire, communities would come together to light bonfires to ward off any evil. In some places, young boys would call door to door to ask for a burning peat to see off the witches. Often, two fires would be lit side by side. People, sometimes even with their cattle, would walk around them as a cleansing ritual. All house fires would be extinguished and relit with embers from the bonfires. Traditionally, engaged couples would each throw a nut onto the bonfire. If the nuts burned quietly, the marriage would be happy. But if the nuts spat and hissed, the marriage would be tempestuous. If the engaged girl alone put two nuts on the fire and they spat and hissed, this was a bad omen for future married life. Children would dress up or be disguised as evil spirits to blend with them and therefore be safe. They would pass from house to house and receive a present of food as if an offering to keep nefarious spirits away. This developed through the years into the practice known as guising, which still continues today. 
Geysers, children dressed as witches, ghosts or skeletons go around houses in their local neighbourhoods and receive gifts of sweets or fruit and nuts. Unlike the American trick-or-treat, which had its origins in these traditions taken across the Atlantic by Scottish and Irish settlers, usually the treat is given in return for the geysers telling a joke, a story or singing a song. The geysers carry lanterns, carved from neeps, the Scots word for turnips. Holes for the carrying string and two eyes, a nose and mouth would be cut through the sides, a small candle placed inside and lit. The neap top would be added back to create the illusion of a head. The candle singes the top of the lantern and the distinctive smell of burnt neaps lives long in the memory of generations of geysers. Food was and is an important part of any Halloween gathering. From 1745, the Witchcraft Act banned the eating of pork that night. Pork bones often thought to be part of the spells and potions of witches. This act was repealed in 1951, so you might get a sausage or sausage roll at a Halloween party now. No thought given to the reason why you may wish to avoid them. A game was created with treacle scones covered in sticky, dripping black treacle suspended on strings. The aim and object? To eat the scone without using your hands. A messy business and nigh on impossible to achieve. The most popular Halloween game is duking for apples. Apples, a sacred fruit to the Celts, are placed in a basin of water. Participants try to retrieve an apple with their teeth, their faces plunged under water. Again, no hands allowed. Not as easy as it sounds. To avoid a risk of drowning, the alternative is to kneel on a chair above the basin, hold a fork between your teeth and drop it from height in the hope of piercing the apple. Halloween cakes were baked with three trinkets hidden inside, a ring, a button and a coin. If your slice contained the ring, it signified you would be the first to marry. But the button predicted that you would be forever single. The coin indicated future riches. Another way to predict the future was by the placing of different objects in a bowl of furak, a mixture of raw oatmeal, cream and sugar. Each person would be blindfolded and given a spoon to dip in the bowl, their destiny determined by the object they spooned up. As well as the ring, button and coin found in the cake, a wishbone would indicate that the finder would receive their heart's desire, while the horseshoe would signal good luck. In coastal communities, the Celtic water spirit Shoni was gifted a pot of ale on Halloween to bestow a blessing on local fishermen. It is thought the islanders of Lewis gathered on the beach to witness such a gifting. If there is ever a night to meet the spirits of the dead, it is Halloween, the perfect night for the ghost hunter. And Scotland is such a rich hunting ground. If travelling out and about, seek out, or seek to avoid, the 12 miles or so of the Kinmount Strait on the A75 road between Annan and Dumfries. Said to be Scotland's most haunted road, between Carotherstown and Annan are sightings of ghostly hitchhikers, shrieking hags, 
and a spectre that walks out in front of cars. A variety of unearthly creatures, cats, goats and even a large hen have allegedly appeared and vanished again, with one couple saying they saw a phantom furniture van. Other unexplained sightings include a medieval camp with miserable-looking figures pulling handcarts. In 1921, on a clear winter's night, a man named John MacDonald was heading home along a path by the Dunfail to Dava railway line in Murray. Suddenly, a locomotive with a full head of steam pulling four carriages appeared and rushed past him. MacDonald claimed the train was travelling around two feet above the tracks. This ghost train continued to traverse the railway line over the next 50 years. Although the line was closed in 1965 and the rails removed, it is said the phantom train can still be seen following the route of the former track. Who drives it, or who any passengers may be, remains unknown. Locals recommend avoiding the main crossroads of the popular tourist town of Pitlochry after dark for fear of encountering the Death Bogle, reportedly a white spectral figure that haunts the area. If you see this terrifying apparition, do not approach it. The Death Bogle's touch is like a finger from the grave and those marked by it are said to die within the year. In Glam's Castle in Perthshire, just inside the door to the Queen Mother's sitting room is a little stone seat. A naughty page boy was often told to sit there as a punishment, but on the coldest night of the coldest winter, he was forgotten about and not dismissed to go to his bed when the household retired for the night. He froze to death, still sitting on his seat. His resentful ghost may put out his foot to trip the unwary entering the room. What better night to play this prank than Halloween, a night for mischief? In Baldoon Castle in Galloway, former seat of the Dunbars of Westfield, in 1669, the teenage Janet Dalrymple was forced to marry David Dunbar, the heir of Baldoon. Janet loved another man, the impoverished Archibald Third Lord Rutherford. No one is certain what happened on the wedding night, as neither bride nor bridegroom ever spoke of it. But some say that the devil entered the bridal chamber, nearly killing David and driving Janet insane. Others maintain that Archibald attacked David, then ran away, and some say that Janet herself stabbed her husband. She never recovered her senses and died shortly afterwards. Wearing her blood-stained nightgown, might she roam the castle ruins on Halloween? Her story provided Sir Walter Scott with a background to his 1819 novel The Bride of Lammermuir and the Donizetti opera Lucia de Lammermuir. Earth Castle in Stirlingshire, overlooking the River Forth, dating back to Robert the Bruce in the 14th century, is now a hotel. The phantoms of a woman, possibly a nanny, with two children, have been sighted. Thought to have died in a fire in the castle in the 1800s, the children can be heard playing happily in several of the rooms and running along the corridors. 
However, unnerving, frightening cries and screams have also been heard. A groundsman also haunts the castle, seen usually on the lower floor. Dusty footsteps appear at a disused staircase, which is closed so no one living can go up or down the steps. The once grand Broomhill House at Lark Hall near Glasgow is now in ruins following a fire in 1943. Captain Henry McNeil was its last resident, retiring there after the Boer War in 1902, bringing with him a beautiful Indian woman named Sita Purdeen. She came under the ruse of being a servant, but was assumed to be his mistress, the captain being already unhappily married. Sita found it hard to settle to her new life and the relationship was far from harmonious. The captain was said to be unpleasant and the possessor of a vicious temper. A servant recalled seeing Sita at 10 o'clock one night following the evening meal. The next day, Sita was gone. The explanation given was that she had been unhappy and left. But how? As the last train from Lark Hall was at nine o'clock and no one had seen Sita walk the considerable distance to the station, nor had the horses and carriage been out that night. Local rumour claimed that the captain had murdered her. When he died an early death in 1924, the funeral was low-key and his family avoided Broomhill House afterwards. There have been many reported sightings of Sita's ghost and she has become known as the Black Lady of Broomhill. In 1954, a local girl called Jean met her twice. The first time at a gathering in the ruins, which hadn't gone well, Jean was leaving when she walked straight into the Black Lady. They stared at each other. Then the Black Lady pointed to the ground between them. Jean left quickly, but she later had the courage to return alone to the same spot. The Black Lady reappeared and began pointing to the ground. Then behind Jean, who turned round to see 13 ghosts sitting on the slope behind her. Many psychics have felt an evil aura in the ruins of Broomhill House, which they blame on black magic being practiced there. However, the same psychics describe the black lady herself as a sad figure who had suffered greatly in life. During the 1960s, a local ghost hunter tried to exorcise the Black Lady in a live television broadcast. Despite the warm weather, the BBC team who were filming told of their cameras freezing over. The ghost hunter maintained that the Black Lady was vengeful and used a heavy lintel stone to break his back and cause the death of one of the television crew in a car crash shortly after the broadcast. In 1990, he published photographs in the national press of what he said was the ghost among the Broomhill ruins. Some years ago, a woman visitor broke her leg. Unable to move, she was trapped in the ruins overnight. She said she was comforted during the night by a dark, strange lady who suddenly vanished at dawn. So maybe as long as the black lady is left at Broomhill House to haunt with no interference, ghost hunters will be safe from harm. 
ghosts can manifest in the most mundane of domestic settings. Blythwood Square in central Glasgow is a desirable place to stay today and in the 1800s was very popular with the well-to-do. When Captain Smythe and his family moved into one of the townhouses, some upgrading and redecoration was needed. The bathroom was the room the captain truly disliked. He found it dark and even somewhat sinister. He had it redecorated and installed a new bath. Despite this, he still felt uncomfortable there and held off using the bathroom, letting other family members do so first. His first bath was in the evening with the room lit by candlelight. As he tested the hot water with his foot, the candles went out and he heard the sound of someone washing, water slopping around inside the bath. Then, to his horror, he saw an apparition of a beautiful, dark-complexioned young woman emerging from the airing cupboard in the corner of the room. She walked towards the bath, stepping on the captain as she went, and proceeded to strangle whoever was bathing. A terrified Captain Smythe lay there still until the person in the bath stopped struggling. The young woman shook the bath water from her arms with a look of satisfaction, then returned towards the airing cupboard and disappeared. The candles in the bathroom reignited and Captain Smythe got up and looked at the bath, which was empty. His wife laughed at his story but swore him to secrecy so as not to frighten the children and the household staff. All was well for a few weeks until their eldest son went to have a bath one evening. In the bath, floating just beneath the water, he saw the body of a naked, bloated, and slightly purple old man. His screams brought the family to the bathroom, but the bath was empty. However, as they turned to leave, there was the young murderess smiling triumphantly at them before vanishing by the airing cupboard. Enough was enough, so the Smythes made immediate plans to move out before they did so, they made some inquiries amongst the neighbours. They found out that the house was once owned by a wealthy old man, married to a young Spanish woman several years his junior. The young wife had a wicked temper and the couple had fierce rows heard by everyone in the street. She often mentioned her husband suffering from frequent fainting fits. One day, he was found dead in the bath a fainting fit believed to be the cause of death. The young widow inherited her husband's fortune and soon left, never to be seen again. Might they both return to Blythwood Square and reenact the death scene on Halloween? We Scots do love a ghost, a phantom, a spirit, malevolent or benign. Our ancient traditions and folklore combined with the dark history fuel Scotland's reputation as one of the world's most haunted countries. As we are small in area, the odds of a close encounter with the paranormal are that much higher. And add to the equation that one special night each year, Halloween, and who might you meet? A costumed party-goer or the real thing? And the questions you have to ask are how do you tell the difference and do you really want to? Light your neap lantern 
and sleep soundly. That was Barbara Buchanan. This episode was written by Barbara Buchanan. It was recorded, produced and radiophonically designed by me, Nick Cole Hamilton. For more weirdness, follow us on Twitter. We are at Tales Weird. Weird spelled W-Y-R-D. This is a You Better Run Media production. Join us again soon for more Tales from Weird Scotland.